Hello, listeners, and welcome back to The Creative Force with your host, Beryl. I'm here today with Joseph C. Grant, Jr. I thought I was a Renaissance woman or a Renaissance artist. However, this gentleman is so much a Renaissance person that it's crazy. I don't know where he finds the time to do half of the things that I've read about him doing. So let's get started. Welcome, Joseph. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So firstly, let's just go back into your background, which is um, you're a native of Trinidad and Tobago. When did your family actually come to the United States, and did you come directly to New York? Yeah. When my family moved in 1972, um, actually my mother came my mother and father came before we did. So I came to America when I was one. Okay. So after I was born, um, they stayed around for about a year. So 1971, they came, and then we followed in okay. 1972. And when you say we, you mean we. You are the youngest of, of 11. 11. Yeah. So when I say Which, we, I mean the whole <laughs> kitten caboodle. I think that is so wonderful. I come from such a small family mm. that when I hear about anybody having more than three brothers and sisters, it's like amazing. It must have been a lot of fun growing up. Um, not really for me. I mean, it oh, was. Wait a minute. <laughs> but I'm the youngest. Okay. So by the time a lot of by the time I came around, a lot of my brothers and sisters were already. Right. Older, they were yeah. grown. Yeah, they were out of the house. Right. Um, but I had a lot of nieces and nephews that were my age. Nice. So I was able to grow with my nieces and nephews. Um, and they all lived in the Brooklyn area. Yeah, we moved to Bedford Stuyvesant when my parents first came to America. They moved to Bed Stuy, and we mm-hmm. stayed there. Okay. Ever since. So you initially came to New York and, and moved to Bed Stuy, and that's where you've been. Correct. Nice, nice, nice. Well, I have said that you are the Renaissance man. So we have a lot of things to let the listeners know about Joseph C. Grant Jr. Yes. So I mean, your your parents waited till you to become to have a junior. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I just which, thought of that. I just which is weird, but yes, I am. I am Joseph <laughs> C. Grant Jr. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you went to um, a New York high school, mm-hmm. which was. Um, I went to high school of art and design. All right. And what did you, what was your favorite uh, subjects there? Um, I really didn't have a favorite subject mm-hmm. in art design. It was just about um, it was the entire um, experience of being around people who were like me at right. a time when I thought that there were no one there was no one like me out there. Absolutely, you know, I growing understand. up in Bedford Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, a young black man during the nineteen seventies, you know, being artistically gifted was mm-hmm. like you were a leper. You right. didn't. You were different. Yes. And, you yes. know, and, you know, the climate is different now. Mm-hmm. Homosexuality was not what it is today. Right. So everyone just assumed that because you were involved in the arts, you were either going to be a drug addict or homosexual. That's right. So you kept, if you were artistically gifted, you kept that under wraps. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you would always think it's something different. And then I went to school and I found all these other kids who were just like me. You know, unfortunately, some of them were um addicted to narcotics. Right. Um, some of them were gay, but for the most part, everyone seemed to be just regular regular people. Right. And not to say that you know, you're not regular if you're anything else, but 
they were just kids. Yes, yes. And I was like, wow, you know, there's about a thousand people here that are just like me that just happen to have an ability that's yeah. different than what mainstream would consider to be regular kids. Right. Yeah, as a um, <clears throat> an artist, and I'm sure like you, I, I was an artist from probably the beginning of life, how you just probably see things differently than people who do not have an artistic bend. Right. Like you'll be the one who might see that uh, formation in a cloud, right. you know, and it, and it could become a, full ple- a full-fledged artistic endeavor and other people just see it as a cloud, right. you know, and that it may rain. Right. Yeah, so that is, that is definitely understood. Then you went on to New York Tech College, and um, your, your degree was in marketing? Yeah, studied marketing while I was in New York Technical College. Mm-hmm. And how has that affected you in reference to um, working with your art as an end product? So when I went to high school and I went through, we had an excellent curriculum. The school, except the curriculum was beautiful. Mm-hmm. The, school, the school had its challenges because, again, being a young black man in the 80s um, with a school that was predominantly all male and white mm-hmm. that was now dealing with integration and everything else. It, right. And some of the uh, teachers in the school went to the school when it was an all-white school. Okay. So it was a little bit of a challenge, mm-hmm, me coming mm-hmm. from where I'm coming from and right. me being who I am. And But um, I learned a lot. So going to college, I figured I'd pick up my art degree. Yes. And I realized what I was doing in college was stuff that I learned in high school. Mm-hmm. So I was so much more advanced right. as an artist that I was like, you know what, I need to take a different class. So I got out of art and went into marketing. Mm-hmm. And it was great because... Not only did I know how to create products, I knew what to do with them once they were created. Yes. So I didn't need to move to someone else to say, hey, help me sell this. Help me get this out to the world. I learned so much from my marketing. Right, right. Plus, I think also marketing, you have to be have a creative, again, bend in order to really be successful with marketing. Um, it's funny. It's I sort of have the same background as you. Mm-hmm. Like I went to an um, almost all-white high school, but it was parochial. So I didn't even get the opportunity to work really with art as a subject until I went to Brooklyn College. Mm -hmm. And I just found out after taking the class in uh, liberal arts that you have to take that I loved working with materials and creating art. After that, many years later, after I was married, had children, et cetera, I went back for my master's. So I had taken um, marketing as my major at LIU. Mm-hmm. So I also found how much it helped in reference to your thinking of your art as a product, not necessarily when you're creating it, but as an afterthought when you need to sell it or if you want to market it in different ways. Right. So <clears throat> it's very interesting that we have similar backgrounds. I didn't know that until now. Okay. <laughs> so um, besides being a visual artist, you are also an author, mm-hmm. filmmaker, mm-hmm. magazine publisher, mm-hmm. and a youth mentor. Mm-hmm. 
That is a mouthful. Yeah. It's like <laughs> you are very, very busy. Yes. Very busy. And it's all positive, which is good. So tell us a little bit first about you being an author. What have you done? Um, I've written a couple. I haven't written anything in a while. Okay. But um, my first book I wrote was called To Live and Die in Bed-Stuy. And it, it came out of me just um, – I'd gotten really sick because I was working a lot. Mm-hmm. and stress-related illnesses yes. that had me bedridden. So I started writing, mm-hmm. and um, I wrote one chapter, and I wrote another chapter. And before long, I had this book going. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, people read the book, and they were like, wow, this is great. You should this is, you should make a movie, which is segueing into how I started getting into yes. actual filmmaking. Okay. You should make a movie because it reads like a movie. And mm-hmm. I was like, ah, you know. I'm like, so was just, it a novel? It was a novel. Okay. It's called To Live and, Buy, Live and Die in Bed-Stuy. Right. It's on Amazon now. It's mm-hmm. an e-book. Okay. So you can go on Amazon um, to Live and Die in Bed-Stuy and download it. It's All like right. $4.99. All right. Um, then I wrote a series of short stories. And people read those and were like, this is great, man. You should really keep writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started painting again because before I got sick, I'd stop painting. Um, and I picked up my brush and started mm-hmm. painting. I got back into my creativity. Yes. After I got sick, and um, that's that's where that's where I started writing. But I haven't written. Well, I've written screenplays, but I haven't right. written another novel since. Just then. screenplays. Yeah. A couple oh. Of screenplays <laughs> and what were those screenplays? Um, I wrote a a, a short uh, miniseries called The Sty. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a movie called On Among Thieves. I wrote um, another short movie called uh, Jesus. I have a couple of other screenplays that I'm working on with uh, Dana Dane, okay. which we're turning the book okay. um, to live and die into a movie. Mm-hmm. I have another movie that I've written called Watermelon Chronicles that I'm working on with um, with Dana as well mm-hmm. that we're um, looking to develop into a full fra- uh, feature movie. So, okay. All right. so a few things. So do you do most of your films, do they take place in New York City in terms of filming, or do you go out to other types of locations, state cities, or whatever? Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. Okay. I All mean, right. to me, when I write a story, because I grew up in Bedford-Stuy, so to me, Bedford-Stuyvesant is a character within itself. Yes, it is. So <laughs> every time I create a story, I always create a role for Bedford-Stuy mm-hmm. in that, in that nice, story. Nice, nice, nice. You know. Well, I think Bed-Stuy is one of the uh, nicest looking places in Brooklyn in terms of the types of brownstones it has. Mm -hmm. It's very green. It's always a lot of flowers and trees. And it's um, a neighborhood. It's still a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Like um, people know each other. You know who, at least back in the day. I don't know with gentrification if that is still the case. But... You didn't know your neighbors. You, your, your neighbors knew who your parents were and who your children were. So I can definitely see it taking on a character of its own. Yeah, well, I, I try to live in the nostalgia of it. Mm-hmm. So when I grew up on my block, I knew every single unit. There was about 90 homes on the block. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I lived on a home, a street with brownstones. And we knew every single person that lived That's in right. every single unit. They right. knew and you we, spoke to each we other. We spoke to each other. Whether you liked that person or not, <laughs> mm-hmm. that was not your concern. That's right. You know, It was um, a neighbor. It was a neighbor. And 
they they would look out for you. You would look out for them. It was all a beautiful thing. So I like to live in my head that way that that mm-hmm. still exists. Yes. Even though that's not the case now, you know, I go home to the same block I grew up on and people look at me as if I just got there. Right. You know, right. and so that's kind of fading a little bit. Yeah. But um, I, I think art can save the world. And so I, do I. And I think that through the gift of art, that that can help bring the community back to right. what it was. That's when that's I was a universal yeah. entity. Yeah. All right. Well, you are also um, involved with the with youth, mm-hmm. and um, tell us the name of the organization that you founded, and are you still CEO of it? Um, it's called Arts to, Arts to Literacy, mm-hmm. and I am still the CEO of it. But because I work with the city council right now, um, I can't work in the school system right? and because uh, I really can't work with the program in that way, but okay. I still go out. Um, I make it my business to try to get to at least one school a month right? and do some kind of guest speaking or try to um, do some mentoring in each school. Yeah. You know. What exactly is the program? Um, I think you started it in 2007. Mm-hmm. And so if you let let's let our listeners know what the program is and um <clears throat> how if people and or schools can get involved with it how they go about doing that. Right. So right now it's in it it has to be an active like oh, I okay. can't do it because okay. I work with the I city understand. Council. All right. But what the idea of the program was was to use art as a way to get kids interested in learning. Mm-hmm. Um being an artist I understood that um, it was difficult for me to understand or communicate with people who didn't speak to me in an artistic way, mm-hmm. right? And I realized, wow, these kids know how to recite the songs. You say kids can't read, but they know how to recite songs. They know how to play the video games. They understand all the rules. Right. So how are they so great at this but bad at that? So exactly. I, I brought the idea of art and entertainment into the school system and using that Helping kids, they would make um, screenplays. They would make movies. They would write a screenplay. Kids would be directors, and they would have to figure out all these things that all these people do and then create a movie. Mm-hmm. And in that, they were writing. They were reading. They were building confidence. They were problem solving. They were doing all the things that people said that they couldn't do. They were doing it to create these projects. Right, right. And that was the idea behind Arts to Literacy. And this is before any of these schools were doing anything regarding film. Mm -hmm. So I would bring my own film equipment into the school. I would um, show them all my lighting, show them how to set up lighting and all this other stuff. Nice. And it would make films, and then we would go out and then uh, do a red carpet um, presentation Mm -hmm. to make the kids really feel great. Yeah. And it would definitely boost their esteem. And now, you know, you have everybody's doing it. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, since you brought it up, um, in reference to why you cannot be involved in this program right now is because you are working in, <clears throat> excuse me, Robert E. Cornicky Jr.'s um, council. He's a councilman in mm-hmm. Bed-Stuy and Northern um, Crown Heights. You're working with him as a... As the... Um Ambassador of Arts and Culture. Okay. So I'm the only ambassador of Arts and Culture in the city of New York, mm-hmm. um, actually in the state of New York. Right. There's never been an ambassador of Arts and Culture before. Right. And um, this is significant because as things change, as things move around, one thing that will consistently be, re- will consistently remain is the art 
and the culture. When um, they go in to invade any land or any country, the first thing they go after is the art. They go after the libraries. They go after mm-hmm. all of the cultural artifacts. That's right. They want to find out what this place. And when you go back into history, the first thing you look for is all of the art, all of the culture. What That's was what the, the Taliban like? did. They right. went out and destroyed all of the art. Right. It was even maybe more so for religious purposes, but nevertheless. Well, it wasn't for religious purposes. In order to annihilate that that group of people, right. you had to, for, for them, for you not to know that they existed, you had to remove the art. Right. Because that is proof of who they were, what they were doing, how they lived at the time. True. Because art is a reflection of um, the culture at the time. Yes. So that's what that was. So mm-hmm. the most important part, to preserve your arts and culture, no matter who moves in, they have to deal with the fact of this was there before, right, before I got there. Yes, yes, and yes. That's what, and that's what um, the council member wanted to do mm-hmm. by creating this, this position. The, the funny part about it is that when I got the position, um, people laughed because they said there's no such thing as an ambassador of arts and culture. It's a made-up title and I'm like yeah it was made up for me <laughs> right and this was four years ago I'm not and, mad at you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and now four years later my um the things that I've infused into the community is being copied and mimicked throughout the entire city mm-hmm. and you know that laughter now turns into right. hey Mr. Ambassador can you help me with this absolutely right? so maybe it might have been something that might have been made up mm-hmm. and maybe someone else might have just taken it as a right. title mm-hmm. but to me it was much more than a title right. so what what are so, some of the things that you have done or or with uh, Robert Carnegie have done <clears throat> in reference to the arts in Bed-Stuy and Northern uh, Crown Heights So um, the first thing I did when I came into office was bring all of the cultural institutions together that that was in uh, Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights Mm -hmm. because they were all disjointed. No one was speaking to anybody. We didn't know what was going on. So we brought them all together so that they can have dialogue and conversation and they can visit each other's campuses and knew what was happening. Mm -hmm. So once I got them all talking together on the same page, it was a lot easier to, to create things. We've created comedy nights at the Billy Holiday Theater, which was um, a way to revitalize the the Billy Holiday mm-hmm. Theater at the time before it went through its renovation. Right. Um, we created the Bed Stuy Art Walk, which is a uh, art walk that links all of the galleries once a month, first Saturday of every month. It links all of the galleries in Bedstein. You go on a tour and you go from gallery to gallery to see who, what the galleries were mm-hmm. and what the artists. Um, are presenting in those right. galleries. We also created a uh, Bed-Stuy art guide, uh, arts and cultural guide, which was a guide that showcased all of the different cultural institutions, the times that they would be open, uh, where they're located, and all of the galleries in Bedford-Stuyvesant mm-hmm. as well. Uh, what else did we create? Recently, we just did the Bed-Stuy uh, Film Festival. Um, we There's so many different things. We created the... Um, so the borough president picked up on this, which is great because, mm-hmm. you know, he has a bigger platform. Yes. But we started the key to the district. So we started doing the Bed-Stuy All-Star Reunion where we would give a key to the district to people who grew up in Bed-Stuy and moved on to do other things to influence people. Right. And then um, the the borough president started doing that as well mm-hmm. for Brooklyn. So right. we started offering a key to Brooklyn. So. They used to do that a million years ago. I yeah. sort of remember it as a kid. Mm-hmm. I think also we, when we had civics in the schools, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, that's But cool. there's nothing new under the sun, no, right? So right. you don't create anything. Absolutely. It's just things that you bring to the forefront. Right. But through um, our office, what we, cre- what we did was we brought a lot of that stuff 
to light, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it became fashionable to right. do it again. Also, we we worked with um, uh, the Block Association, and we did uh, April is Black Fashion Month. Okay. So we honored black fashion designers during the month of April. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brooklyn Library at Macon Branch specifically now has a um, a, a program for artists to come in, a residency program, which is something that we also fought for to make sure. Because my thing was we have a heritage center mm-hmm. in Macon Branch Library, which was the only black African heritage center in the entire oh, library right. system. Why don't we have art in that? Absolutely. And um, and I fought and fought, and now they have a program there. Mm-hmm. We also created August in August, which we do the plays of um, August Wilson right. in the month of August, and that's right. free to the public. It's in the park. And that was, Oh, that's in the park. That What park was it in this? This, this year summer? we were in Vaughn King Park, right. um, which we um, we worked with the Bed-Stuy uh, Theater Group, which nice. is something that also comes out of the council member's office mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. Um, from the Ambassador of Austin Culture position. So we've done a, a little bit. You've done a little bit. I was like, I'm almost out of breath listening. <laughs> oh, and we also we also put a, um, a plaque okay. in the park right. to honor um, the founders of the Fulton Art Fair. Yes, that I remember. Right. I was definitely in attendance for that. And we're working on a, a statue for Shirley Chisholm. Nice. And we're also working on a plaque for Lena Horn in Fulton Park as well. Ooh, very nice. So very nice. there's a little bit of things. Uh-huh. You know, we've done just a little bit. Just a little bit, yeah. and I, and I, and it's all good. The um, the one place though that I have found to be very quiet in reference to the arts right now is the Skylight Gallery. Is that still in existence? I mean, because I don't really hear too much coming out of the Skylight Gallery anymore. Well, the Skylight Gallery. Um, it has a problem with uh, with leakage. Okay. And that's the reason why. So that's un- that's to be repaired. All right. And until it's repaired, they don't want to risk putting art in the gallery okay. and the art being damaged. All right. Well, that's good to know. So, I'm, I'm glad that there's yeah. a definite so they haven't abandoned. Good. They haven't abandoned the art, um, the pursuit of art mm-hmm. in restoration. Good. It's just that it, it needs to be. Uh, I'm glad I asked that because I know other people probably want to know that as well. Now, you, um, as ambassador to the arts, one of the questions I had about that is, when is uh, Robert Carnegie's term over? And does that affect you being the ambassador to the arts? Um, His term is over in 2021. Okay. And yes, it does. All right. So... Um, whatever we're doing now, because I don't know if the next council member will want to bring in an ambassador of arts and culture. Mm-hmm. And if they do, it may not necessarily be me. Okay. So um, so you still have a couple of years. To I still do, have a couple of years to, to make some, some things happen. Good, good. So for anyone who's listening, and this is very important, whatever we need to do, we need to do it now. Mm-hmm. You need to contact me now. Yes. And we need to set these things in place now. Because once they're set in place, it's hard to undo it. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to get it going if it's not set in place. Right. Right. Okay. Um, you are also this, and you are also, and you are also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, okay. You have uh, begun um, began working with sneakers. Yes. And uh, doing uh, designs. I also read that two of your favorite artists were Ernie Barnes. And Norman Rockwell. Yes. 
And I can see the influence in some of the pieces that mm-hmm. I've seen you've done, that you have done. Um, let's let's let the listeners know about your um, Adidas designing, and um, I've also seen jean jackets that mm-hmm. you've painted on the back of. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal! I love them all. Mm-hmm. And where your business is, and how they can get more information about your product. So um, I started painting on clothing about a year ago, and I was totally against it. But a friend of mine, she um, really encouraged me. She was like, Why hey. were you against it? Because I just thought it was, um, I'm a true advocate for the arts. Mm-hmm. And I think the arts should be always held at its highest um, esteem, in the highest esteem. And I thought it would be trivializing the arts mm-hmm. by doing artwork on garments. Okay. So I didn't want to do that. Right. And she would come to me and say, hey, paint on I'm like, nah, you know, that's a novelty. And who's this friend? Um, friend, you know. Don't stutter. <laughs> you know. Go ahead. Yeah. So she she would come to me and say, "Hey, you know, paint on my sneakers." Right. And um, I was like, "Okay, cool." Um, so one day she gave me a pair of sneakers and she said, "Here, I don't care what you do to these, just do something." Mm-hmm. It happened to be a pair of um, Adidas, right? High top Adidas. And what came to my mind was, uh, what can I do? that would be innovative and still great for a pair of Adidas. Mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier fought their first fight of the three fights that they fought, and they both wore a pair of Adidas. Mm-hmm. So it came to me, I'll put Muhammad Ali. Yeah. So I'll put Muhammad Ali on one shoe mm-hmm. and put Joe Frazier on the other shoe. And the fact of both of them throwing a jab, I can make the jab go from one right. side of the shoe Shoots all the way around to the other nice. side of the shoe. So that's what gave me that wraparound effect. Mm-hmm. And then after I did that, um, I decided, hey, why don't I do other people in history who had rivals? So I mm-hmm. created the rival series. And then after I did that, people just assumed all I painted on was Adidas. Right. So they would just bring me Adidas and say, <laughs> okay. hey, could you do something? And I'm like, well, I do other shoes too. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, I like the Adidas. Mm-hmm. So that's where that came. And okay. the jean jacket was something I used to do with back in high school. Yes. Yeah, you know, so. It was very nice, the piece that I saw. Oh, okay. Yes, well. very nice. And where can people find your merchandise? Um, I have a shop down in Dumbo called the Ambassador's Court, mm-hmm. and it's 59 Pearl Street. Yes. Um, but I'm usually not there a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to say that. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> You're not doing anything else. <laughs> but I do have a website, theambassadorscourt.com, and um, everything that's in the shop is also online. Nice. Um, but, it's a, but it's a custom shop. Mm-hmm. So basically it's referrals. You Call you contact me and say, "Hey, I want this done," and everything in the shop is all custom made. Okay. T-shirts, hats, right. everything is custom made, Very so it's nice. all made to order. Cool, cool, cool. And now let's get to the new stuff that you're working on in reference to two things. You mentioned your um, the film festival, mm-hmm. so if you could let our listeners um, know a little bit more about that and how they may be able to get involved. For next year. Okay. So the film festival was created. Well, again, this is four years in the making, this film okay. festival. Uh-huh. Um, sat down with um, some friends, Attica Torrance, um, Ephraim Benton, and um, uh, Michael Pinckney four years ago. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and we talked about creating this film festival. And it this is to show you how long it takes for something to happen. Sure. And we talked about it. We kicked it around. And every year, it's like, we'll do it, we'll do it. And this particular year, um, Attica and I sat down. like, we're going to make this happen regardless of what. I don't care who's involved or who's not involved. Mm-hmm. And we put together the first ever Bed-Stuy Crown Heights Film Festival. And it was phenomenal. Um, people who it was free to the public. It was free, no sub, no submission charge. Mm-hmm. Next year, um, we haven't figured out exactly how to submit, right. but or what we'll do. But there is a, a website, um, the Bedsty Crown Heights Film Festival, Bedsty Crown Heights Film Festival dot com. Okay, and that site will be up and um, running by January first, and all of the rules on what you can do and how you can get involved, and it uh, will be on the site. And it's held at the Billy Holiday Theater right now. Mm-hmm. But we're looking to branch out to utilize Vaughn King Park once their theater is um, redone. Nice. Um, Weeksville Heritage Center mm-hmm. and also the Brooklyn Public Library Macon branch. So we plan on utilizing all of the cultural institutions in Bed-Stuy and making it a part of nice the, venues. The, um, the, the film festival. Great, great. Now, in reference to the film that you're currently working on or two or three – Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> the film I just finished is called uh, The Stuff. Okay. And it was written by Rob Stapleton, produced by Rob Stapleton, comedian. Mm-hmm. And I directed, and um, yeah, I directed the film. And it's an excellent film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a throwback to the Uptown um, Uptown Saturday Night yes. kind of buddy kind of movie with Bill Cosby and, mm-hmm. and uh, Sidney Poitier. Um, so I, it's a very fun, fun film. Right. Um, I also just uh, finished working on a film with a friend of mine, Jacinto Riddick, um, called A Brother's Whisper. And right now that's in post-production. It's an excellent film, and it talks about um, it talks about everything in the black community right mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. From, from soup to nuts. It talks right. about gentrification. It talks about um, rent um, gouging. It talks about uh, brother relationships between brothers and how we want things to be a certain way, but the reality is not the way we see it in our head. It's an excellent, nice. well-written, yeah. um, well-written <clears throat> production. Right. Is that finished and ready to... Principal shooting is, is done. Okay. We're, we're in the editing stages of it. All right. That should be um, ready for the festival um, circuit next year, 2019. All right. Okay, so I actually have... And I promise one last question, and that is, how did you learn and get more involved with the type of filmmaking that you're doing now? So I've been actually working with films since I was a kid. I got interested in films in 1977 when I first saw uh, Star Wars, and I was like, wow, even though I was drawing and that was cool because I had my comic books. But when I saw Star Wars, that was the first time I saw something that looked like a comic book to me translated into a film. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like what I was accustomed to, like Batman and all that other stuff. To me, that was cool, but it was still had an air of corniness to it. Right. Like Flash Gordon, we would watch that as a kid. But this was something different. And I was like, wow, I was amazed. It was cinematography. Yeah. It, so it was beautifully shot. And I was like, I want to do that. And... I played with a lot of action figures as a kid, mm-hmm. and um, 
my mother would take, we would go to the store. My mother would have to warn me and be like, I'm not buying you any of these things, so don't ask. And I'd sit there and I'd cry and then she'd find me. So I'd always walk out with an action figure. And my brothers would call them doll babies. And I was like, they're not doll babies, they're action figures. So I had like this whole crew of action figures. And the interesting part is I would, like at the time you would buy action figures, but most of them were white. Right. And I would turn them into who I wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. So I would make them black. I would do whatever. I'd change their outfits. I was sewing. <laughs> I was doing right. the whole. And, and my mother had a Polaroid camera. Mm-hmm. So I would set them in places. And I was doing stop motion. I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Right. And I would take pictures of them and then move them to another place and then take a picture. And, then, and I would tell these stories. Amazing. based. And I was about maybe seven, eight years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I got older and I started working on the films, a buddy of mine who knew me, we grew up together, um, he said, you know, you're still playing with action figures, right? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, they're just real now. <laughs> they're just people. I love so it. I've been doing this. I've been working on films and moving people around right. and doing this stuff since I was about seven, eight yeah, years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, though, so, but let's say, technically speaking, did you take courses in filmmaking? Like, how did you get to the point of being a director? Or you just wanted to be the boss? I mean, what was it? So there's certain things you can't teach, right? You can't teach someone how to be a director. Either Mm -hmm. you are a director or you're not. Right. Right. Either you have an eye and you have a way of telling a story or you just don't. And you can't, you can teach the people how, you know, technical ways of doing it, but that doesn't make you a director. So, Mm -hmm. Um, it was just something I gravitated to. Right. It was just, I'm playing with these stories. I'm directing my action figures as mm-hmm. a kid. Mm-hmm. I'm doing all of this stuff yes, already. Yes, yes. So um, my my school was any time there was, back in the day, they would have the making of. Right. And you would watch the making of. Yes. And I would watch all the making of Indiana Jones. I would watch all the, and I'd look at what was going on. So I guess my teacher was Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. he, you know, he would have all these making of shows and I would right. watch them and I would look where the camera was placed and I would look at and in my head I would see, oh, they placed the camera here, but I remember the shot in the movie and this is what it looked like. So I started putting two and two together. Right. And I never had a formal film class. No. Mm-hmm. Nice. Very interesting. Cool. So um, is there anything else that you'd like to add um, or information you'd like to give? Um... Not really. I don't know. I, don't I know think we touched about yeah, almost we touched on a lot on everything on, on everything. Well, like I said, I was amazed at all of the things that I have read that you have done and are doing. I have a great respect for the work that you do, mm-hmm. and it was a pleasure having you here um, on Creative Force. Well, thank you. And. Um, Hopefully, we'll maybe be able to do some things together in the future. Okay. Well, I do have one last word. Okay. And last words uh, go out to people who are artistically gifted and understand that you are, um, you're not different. You're special, right? And always, uh, always hold on to your gift. And I say this because it was years in my life where it was hard for me to admit to anyone that I was an artist mm-hmm. for fear of ridicule. And that held me back not only as an artist but as a human being. It caused me to withdraw. It caused me to not um, to chase a dream that was not my own. And it, it and, and it had its moments where things were not great for me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until and this is weird. It wasn't until I was forty years old 
that I was able to admit in a room full of people that I am an artist and was proud about that. And from that moment on, my life has changed dramatically because now I'm walking in my purpose and I'm not work, walking in the purpose of what someone else wanted for me. So, and I say this, and this is why I mentor young people. If we can start now at a very young age and get them thinking the way they're supposed to think, the sky's the limit for them. So if I had a me when I was 12 or 13 years old, I don't know where, I, I don't know how far I'd be right now. But I'm happy with the way things turned out because I'm me. Absolutely. Thank you again. All right, child listeners, please come back to Creative Force. Thank you again. Okay. The, the next time I do something. Well, <laughs> like, like tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Creative Force Podcast with your host, Beryl. If you liked what you heard, come back and let others know about Creative Force. Until next time, be well, be creative, and enjoy living.